0: 1 Samuel, the second chapter, beginning with verse 12. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest servants would come and say to the man, who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Let's skip down to verse 22. Now Eli was very old and kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to tag this text we'll be in this morning, Eli's Failure, the Tragic Results of Faithless Parenting. Eli's Failure, the Tragic... Tragic results of faithless parenting. Between 1 Samuel, the second chapter, well actually 1 Samuel, the first chapter through the fourth chapter is the life and death of Eli, the high priest of of Israel at this time uh, during the Judges. This this story is about a man who had been given the highest responsibility in Israel. The high priest, he was the one responsible for going before God for the sake of the people. And we see here in this story that somehow that extraordinary privilege that he had, had somehow become ordinary. And instead of being excited about the things of God, we find Eli capitulating his responsibility and failing as a parent and as a priest. For us this morning, if a priest can stumble, How much more can we? You may say, why have a sermon sermon on parenting before the new year? We should be talking about new things, new experiences, what we're going to do, goals. There's a few reasons, but one primary reason that we decided to have a sermon on parenting before the new year is because in 2014, my... my my deepest desire of my heart is to see revitalization and rejuvenation within the student ministry. And in order to see rejuvenation and revitalization in, in the student ministry here, revival must take place in homes out there. So as we do approach 2014, my prayer is that you will stand with me and pray that God will soften hard hearts and that this place will be a tremendous beacon for young people who will fall deeply in love with Jesus and depend on him daily. Let us go before our awesome God in prayer and dig into this text this morning. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name, we give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, there is no one like you. And as we come, Lord, we come in great need of you. Lord, we need your spirit to come. We need you to anoint us, to fall fresh uh, your spirit upon us that we may hear from you. Father, open up our ears that we may hear. Open up our eyes that we may see. Give us understanding to these scriptures. And Father, as you prepare to go to battle right now against Satan and his demons, Father, I pray you would do so with your mighty hand. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would tear down strongholds, that you would break yokes, that Satan will have no more dominion, no more rule or reign over the hearts of anyone in this place. Father, soften our hearts that we may receive this word from on high, that we may lead this place loving you more dearly. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. You know, when my wife, Darisha, read and I had found that she was with child, our first child, man, that was an exciting time, thrilling. I had, since a small child, always desired, by God's grace, a family. And here on the precipice of that, we were we were about to begin our family together. And this period, telling people what was going on, what was happening, it, there was so much excitement in the air. But then also, in the recesses of my mind, though, there began to take root a little bit of fear. Now, it wasn't fear because I I thought I wasn't able to provide for my family, and it it wasn't fear because I didn't think that my wife was capable of the task. But no, this this fear was a fear from not wanting to mess things up. This was a fear of failure that that I was having at that time. And I believe for, for most parents, both you and me, one of the greatest fears that we have as a parent is the fact that we will some way, somehow fail our children. And make a mess of the entire situation. I mean, children, right? You get them, they come. They don't come with a warranty, a guarantee, or a job. They just come. So it's easy to to fall into that fear of, I don't know what I'm doing. Will I mess this up? What are we supposed to do? But you know what? Even though most parents do encounter this fear of failure, we kind of get past it and we get on with life and we begin to parent and raise our children but we never go back and answer the question, OK, if I was fear, if I was uh, if I had a fear of failure, then how will I measure if I'm a failure or not? We never answer that question. We kind of gloss over it. And I mean, how, how do you know when you've blown it as a parent? I, I, I submit to you, parental failure is not measured by your ability to per- Provide well for your child, giving them everything that their hearts desire. Parental failure is not measured by whether your child graduates from high school and, and the university and gets a, a job at a Fortune five hundred company or not. That that's that's not how you measure failure. But from our perspective, parental failure should not be measured by the quantity of care, but by the quality of care. And from God's perspective, failure is determined by whether whether or not parents have been faithful. Faithful. However, more and more, because we are living in the midst of a culture that is increasingly hostile towards God and the things of God and and, and loving Jesus and the word of God, we find ourselves more and more seeing the results, the tragic results of faithless parenting. God is not looking for perfect parents. So we can, we can take that off our back right now. He's not looking for perfect parents who, who get it all right. That, that's, that's what... My fear came from, I wanted everything right. You, when you have your first child, you, you get this thing called the crazies. And you just buy everything because somebody told you to buy it. And, and you read somewhere that you're going to need it. I remember going out, buying one of those those microwavable uh, uh, bottle disinfectant things and, and I remember Nate would have his meal and and then and we will wash them out and then we'll put them in that and put it in a microwave and say, Wow, look at that. That's disinfected. Then came baby two, three, four. Now, nah, you liable. If we, if we wash the bottle after we drop it, we doing something. But God is not looking for perfect parents. He's looking for faithful parents. God has called parents to be faithful. Because God has called parents to be faithful, we should discipline and instruct the hearts of our children under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So as we come upon a text like this, this this, this failure, this tragedy, we do so from the viewpoint of Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 10 and 6, where he says that now, now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Paul is talking about Israel in the New Testament, and he's saying these things were written now so that they may be an example for us. May the story of Eli be an example for us and, and what faithless parenting looks like, and may we use it as a case study this morning on what not to do. But may we also see the flip side of that and what should we be doing as parents. So let us look at a few examples in this text in regards to parenting this morning. There's four things I want us to look at in this text. The first thing I want us to look at about Eli in this text is that faithful parenting perceives the spiritual condition of their family. Faithful parenting perceives. Secondly, we want to look at how faithful parenting participates in the life of their children. Faithful parenting participates. But then thirdly, we're gonna look at how faithless parenting is tragic. But then finally, and best of all, we will look to see how God's words provides hope for failures just like us. So let us look at how to parent faithfully this morning and be committed as a congregation to parent our children faithfully but, but before we dig in there let's have a baseline a, an understanding of what these definitions that we're working working with. when I say faithful, I mean parenting in a, a a steadfast a trustworthy way concerning one's commitment to God and his word. That's faithful. when you are parenting in a way, that you are habitually turning towards Jesus Christ and his word for understanding and how I should be parenting, raising, training, and discipling my children. That is faithful parenting. So when we look at Eli and, and, and we're saying he's, he's faithless, he is not looking to God. And I submit to you this morning, most parents are faithless in their parenting techniques. They're more concerned with crossing the T's and dotting the I's than getting on their knees and praying before God over their children. Our standard, when you have a case study, you usually have a standard to compare and contrast it to. So we're, we're going to use Deuteronomy 6 to contra- contrast this text too. And when I say parenting, I'm speaking of any and all who are in the process of raising a child, including, but not limited to fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts, cousins, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. If you have influence in raising a child, I'm talking to you. What if you're not a parent? Why am I here this morning? Because God caused you to be faithful in a different area of your life. See, in your season of life, you may not be a parent, but God is still calling you to be faithful in some area of your life. So the text of scripture this morning will show you how to be faithful wherever you are. And that is by being obedient to the word of God. The context for this passage of scripture it's key because it comes on the heels of Judges where in Judges it tells us that that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, and that way of thinking has now bled into the priesthood. Now the priests are doing what is right in their own eyes. So now the, 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 the topmost point, of of society has been corrupted now. And we find ourselves in these early chapters of 1 Samuel, seeing Israel at a spiritual low point. Full of corruption. And here, beginning with verse 12, we see Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, serving in the temple. Bringing us to our first point, faithful parenting perceives. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was serving, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say no. You must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men were very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. The text tells us that Eli's son were worthless men. Worthless men. Literally here, it's sons of Belial. Worthless And the key to them being worthless is the next phrase. They did not know the Lord. You have men functioning in the spiritual capacity for the people as priests, and they do not know the Lord. Now, I don't know about you and and on your job and your job descriptions, but there are some basic fundamental things that you need to know how to do to do your job properly. I am a computer programmer. If I did not know the alphabet, I cannot do my job. If I showed up and said and just start typing and a bunch of characters went on the screen, I cannot expect that program to work nor my boss to be happy. But here we have foolishness in the house of God where priests don't even love Jesus. They did not know the Lord. In verse 13, it says the customs of the priests. Now, we can can flush that out because it says the customs of the priests. It does not say the commandments of the law. Because what was taking place, all of this taking place here was foolishness and sinful. Because back in Leviticus, the priests were commanded to take only a portion of the meat. They were po- supposed to get, get a, a, a a portion of the sacrifice before it was, uh, a, as it was being sacrificed. But here, it's like they, they made up something new. They decided everything's going to be in a pot and we're going to get a fork, a really big fork, and then we're going to push it down in there. Whatever comes up is ours. Ah, that's a good idea. See, that's... And that's how it starts. Yeah, we're going to serve God this way. That's a good idea. And then people, then they began to add on top of that. Because in verse 15, it says, moreover, before the fat was burned, in Leviticus, it tells the priest that the fat was supposed to be burned. They are serving as priests, do not know the Lord, doing it their way, for sinful, selfish motives. And Eli is the high priest. So as, see, see this type of worship that's being offered. They're in the temple. They're making a sacrifice. They're doing something, but all that they're doing is wrong. That kind of lets me know that I can come to church. I can say all the right things. I can do all the right things and still be foul before a holy and righteous God. They weren't out on the streets somewhere. They were in the temple where they were supposed to be. bullying the the people of Israel, taking what they want by force. So the situation is you you have priests that don't even love the Lord, bullying the people, and taking for themselves what they want. But notice a few things when it comes to Eli. Because as the high priest, he was in charge of all of this. He was supposed to make sure that everything was was, was going according to uh, to Levitical law. But not only that, his two sons are there participating in this foolishness. So notice a few things in this text. First, notice Eli's ignorance. Eli's ignorance. The fact that these men did not know the Lord shows you that Eli was ignorant to their spiritual condition. He did not even know that his own children did not know the Lord. Some way, somehow... He was not fulfilling his role as the father to impress upon the hearts of his children the word of God. Now, it's not it's not his responsibility that they be saved, but it's his job to teach them about salvation. And his responsibility here was failed because he knew if if your child doesn't love Jesus then he has no business serving as a priest. He is ignorant to their spiritual Condition. But not only is he ignorant, Eli makes concessions. He concedes to the culture because it says right here the customs of the priest. Instead of him under, under God's authority setting the standard for the church, he's taking what the culture wants to do and instilling that as part of the church. The customs of Instead of making a right sacrifice before God, he is choosing custom, he is choosing tradition over God's word. He is choosing to do things like like they normally do, like they used to, over being faithful to the word of God and how things are supposed to be done. And in this, and Eli's ignorance and his concession, he's actually guilty of throwing his sons under the bus. Because he's not protecting them, because now he has placed his two sons who don't love the Lord, who are foul and doing things according uh, to, the, uh, to the culture, he is putting them in front of a holy and righteous God and said, just do your thing. Just do your thing, just have at it. That's the furthest thing from protection. He is not protecting his sons. And a faithful parent can never put their children in such harm's way. A faithful parent is neither ignorant, nor do they concede to the prominent cultural influences. A faithful parent perceives the spiritual condition of their children because they are intimately involved in their spiritual formation process. You should know your child's spiritual condition. Not because a Sunday school teacher told you, not because a a, a pastor told you, but because you have been talking with them about Jesus. How do they respond to Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Do do they call on Jesus? Do they know how to pray? Do they know the books of the Bible? Do, Do they have a care and concern for the things of God? According to our standard, Deuteronomy 6, parents are the primary faith influencers. Did I get that? Parents are the primary faith influencers. Not the church. Parents are the primary faith influencers. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. Beginning with verse 4. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. As we look through that standard, there is a a constant, a diligent teaching and training of the scriptures to your child in the context of their home and within the faith community. Eli would have been familiar with this because it's part of the Shema. He would have said the Shema every day. So for him to not have intimate knowledge about the spiritual condition of his children, he is guilty. He has failed his children. May we not fail our children by not ever opening a Bible in their presence outside of the church. When we think about the word of God, this is not not extra. This is not like a a bad, something that can help you get by in life. This is life. This, the word of God, is the only thing that will not perish with you when you die. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the only thing you can take with you when you die. How dare we not open a Bible in the presence of our children? It is critical for survival. Lately, I've been on this survivor man type kick and watching those survivalist type shows and and I, one day I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn one of the minivans into a bug out vehicle, so just in case the apocalypse comes, we're going to jump in the minivan and bus up. But, but whenever you watch those shows, they always talk about some critical things that are key for survival in those situations. And they always say that you need food, you need water, you need shelter, and you need fire. If you are going to survive, if everything blew up, if everything went down, you need food, you need water, you need shelter, and you need fire if you're going to survive. So what does that mean? Well, let's just, let's just take that little illustration and pull that right here in the text. If, if you and your children are going to survive in this life, you need food and you need water and you need shelter, and you need fire. You need food, and you need water. Does your family hunger and thirst after righteousness? Does your family hunger and thirst for the living water who is Jesus Christ? Is there a desire to know Jesus in your home? Does does anyone ask about Jesus? Does anyone wonder What Jesus would do in this situation? Does his his name come up besides as a four-letter word? Does the name Jesus rule and reign in your home as food and as water? Or how about shelter? Where do you run to for protection when things go crazy? Do you run to the phone? Do you run to the internet? Do you run to the God who is our refuge? Do you take refuge in the scriptures? Do you run to Jesus to, to give you a word from on high? Do you want run to the Lord and Savior to, to wrap his arms around you in the difficult times? Based upon your child's spiritual condition, what should you be protecting them from? When it comes to customs, the, the word of God says, see to it that, that we're not taken captive according to the elementary principles of this world, according to the the, the traditions of men. Well, what do you mean? I I mean, how far do you let your children go out there on, on their own? Do you know who your child is calling on their cell phone? Do you know what pictures they've taken of themselves on Instagram? Do you know what Internet sites that they're they're browsing? Don't you know that exposure to pornography is getting younger and younger and younger? And you let your child have open access to the internet at your home, and they're 11 years old addicted to pornography. That's not protection. What's on your child's iPad, iPod, i-everything, whatever? What's on it? What are they listening to? Is it glorifying God or, or is one of those, ah, yeah, they're just kids? Yeah, they're just kids and they can't protect themselves. And that's why God has called you to be faithful. Fire, fire. What's the spiritual temperature of your home? Is it, is it chilly in your house? Is it, is it freezing in there? Do you need to get some more logs and throw it on that fire? And kindle that fire, kindle a heart that loves Jesus, kindle a fire that when people ride by your house, they see the light of Jesus shining in your home. Do you need fresh wood? Sometimes we need a new word. We can't keep giving the children the same word over and over again. Faithful parenting perceives the spiritual condition of their Family, But not only does faithful parenting perceives the, perceive, but we'll see here that in the text, faithful parenting participates. Verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. In ancient Near East times, it was common in pagan houses of worship worship to have what they called the cult prostitutes. That when people came up to worship, part of their worship was to participate in orgies. And and, and this, this sinful, wicked type practice has somehow found its way into the Lord's house. Where his sons are not only foolishly and sinfully making sacrificial offerings to God on behalf of the people, but they're sleeping with the women. So notice a few things about Eli here and his failure. Notice notice Eli's negligence. Negligence. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing. Eli namely was not involved in his son's lives because he had to hear from someone else what his sons were doing. Eli wasn't sitting down having dinner around the table talking about how was your day today? What you have been up to? Who's this friend? And what's been going on here? He, there was a negligence in, in, on Eli's behalf. He, he was just hearing what his sons were doing. But not only was he not involved, he was slow to respond because they said he kept on hearing. That mean they had to tell Eli over, Eli, your sons. Eli, your sons. Eli, your son, Eli, your sons. Eli, your sons are off the hook. Do something. Do something. He was slow to respond. And because he was slow to respond, we see that it was too late because they would not listen to him. They had already got to the point where their hearts were so hard, God gave them over to their hard hearts. It was too late. But then also in in Eli's negligence, I believe believe Eli was more concerned with their, their moral assimilation than their internal transformation because the people came and told Eli then he did something and what he said is like it's not right that you do these things and the people are talking about it. what he's saying is nah you shouldn't be doing these things in front of the people nah you need to get yourself together you're making me look bad here You have to stop cutting up and acting up because my my reputation is on the line now. They coming to me. Eli should have went to them and talked about their heart issues and talked about it was obvious they didn't love the Lord. We need to talk. Do you love Jesus? And if so, how? The fruit of your life is wickedness. Do we need to talk about how he opened up the Red Sea again? Do we need to talk about how he brought us into this land for flowing with milk and honey? Do we need to remember how God's hand has been on this people for so long? He was slow to respond. But I believe ultimately, Eli failed here because of his fear of man. His fear of man. Eli was guilty of two sins. The text tells us he was guilty of honoring his sons over God. That means he, he, he had love and, and care more for his sons than, than for God. But then also he failed to restrain them. And what happens a lot of times is when, when a parent needs to handle business, they just don't want to handle it because they want, don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. Don't want to hurt no one's feelings. Don't want to do the difficult thing. Don't want to make the tough choice. But unlike Eli's neglect and fear of man, faithful parenting is intentional in nature and it seeks to glorify God above all things. See, this is more about the why and not the what. Why do we need to parent like this? Why do we need to be faithful back in our our, our, our text for standard Deuteronomy 6? But now verses 1 through 3. It says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going to possess it. Why? That you may fear the Lord your God. Why? You and your son and your son's sons. By keeping all the statutes and commands which I command you all the days of your life. Why? And that your days may be long. Why? Hear therefore, Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. God calls parents to be faithful because there is tremendous blessing in that. There's blessing in favor with raising children according to God's standards and not our own. A faithful parent is engaged. Are you, about, are you involved in your child's life? Do you make time to have daily conversations with your children? What, what kind of reputation does your child have? Who are their friends? A faithful parent responds appropriately. Do you even discipline your child? Not how do you discipline, do, do you discipline your child? But you respond appropriately. When you receive a poor report about your child, do you question the messenger or your child first? Are you willing to make tough choices regarding the discipline of your child? A faithful parent calls sin what it is and addresses the heart issue. So the question there is Does your child have an attitude problem or is it a sin issue? We can't make excuses. We need to call, point out sin. Why? Because then we know how to pray. Do you point your child to Jesus when you discipline them? That's one that, that's one that the Lord really, really got get on me about. Was I disciplined my, my children out of frustration and, and, and out of not wanting to be embarrassed, or was I pointing their heart to Jesus? Because they, they weren't breaking my law when they're disobedient to me. They were breaking God's law. So I needed to point them back against the one they're really sinning against. Oh, son, you're you're not sinning against me. You being disobedient to me is not on me. It's on God. It's between you and him. When you discipline your children, do you point them back to Jesus? Or is it all about you? Are, Are you their God? Do you require glory from your children? Do they behave well because they don't want to get beat down by you? Or do they behave well because they have a love and care for God? A faithful parent fears God rather than man. Do you give do you give into your child's request just to avoid conflict? Ah, this is tough. This is tough stuff. This is tough. Man, parenting, faithful parenting is difficult. Oh, I would love to just say, just eat cookies for breakfast. I don't care. That's 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 being faithless. I have to be faithful and say no. That's not beneficial for you now. Let's get you the right, the right nutrition to start your day off. Do you discipline out of frustration? Are you willing to make decisions based upon biblical convictions, even if no one else understands? Have a. a a friend who came down and he left an engineering job, and his wife left an engineering job, and they began to raise a family. And they decided, as a family, that she would stay home and raise the kids. That that became a big issue with the family because the family thought she was wasting her degree by staying at home. Is that a worldly principle? Is that a biblical principle? Faithful parenting participates in the life of their children. All right, we're done with that part. We're done. But let's move on to see how faithless parenting is tragic. Because I think the elephant in the room is the fact that we have so much tragedy in our families and in our community and and, and so many issues and problems with our children. And the only way to turn, turn things around, and as we look back to the scriptures to see what God has to say about this, and stop living and doing life according to our own way and our own methods. Chapter 2, verse 27. What happens to Eli? And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said. Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded you and honor yourselves, uh, your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every? offering of my people, Israel. So Actually, not only was Eli's sons taking the extra meat, but Eli was eating that meat too. (laughs) Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will be not an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look on envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Haphne and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver, for a loaf of bread, and say, Please put me in one of the priests' place, that I may eat a morsel of bread. So Eli's entire family lineage is now being cut off because of how he has sinned against God. His sons would die both on the same day. His lineage will be cursed in that they will always be poor and needy. They will always have short lives. They will always be victims of violence. They will always have difficulty and misery. How many times in our own lives will we have to experience similar tragedies before realizing that raising children according to what is right in our own eyes is faithless? Not all, but but many of the most tragic stories involving teenagers and young adults have many of the same similarities. There's either an absent or uninvolved mother or father. There's no parental accountability. There's no parental protection. There's no parental action. Now, those who commit those crimes must bear the responsibility for their actions, yes, but yet fathers and mothers bear some responsibility. See, what has happened is our understanding of parental responsibility has shifted significantly. Whereas before, there was one extreme where the parent was responsible for everything. Your your child did this, your child did that, you must be responsible, you must be doing a poor job. But then on the other spectrum, now is well, that's just them. They're doing what they do. And, And it has no reflection of me. We have to bring that back to the middle. Bring that back to the middle. Because at the end of the day, parents will have to give an account for how they steward this parental responsibility. We may believe that parental failure only comes when when something really tragic happens, but no, parental failure occurs whenever a child is born out of well Parental failure happens whenever a father walks out on his family. Parental failure happens whenever a divorce takes place. Parental failure happens whenever you yell at your child in frustration. We all fail. We are failures. But you know what? The, the ultimate tragedy in this text is not what happened to his sons. The ultimate tragedy is the fact that Eli raised two sons who was not impressed with God. And we must be careful to not raise children who are not impressed with God because we're not impressed with God. Because what the... What, There's the saying what what the parent does in moderation, the child will do in excess. If we're not impressed with God, then how would our children ever be impressed with God? If we never go around the house shouting hallelujah, praise God, thank you Jesus, then how would they ever sing and shout the same thing? But there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. When we look in this passage of Scripture, we see where the hope comes from. In chapter 3, verse 1, this is a reminder of the problem. Now, the young man, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. That's, That's the problem right there. Where there is no word from the Lord, there is no godly direction. Where there is no word from the Lord, there is no godly wisdom. Proverbs 29, 18, that's that's where it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. That's how God works. God is speaking, but are we listening? Are we listening? God is speaking to Eli, but only on rare occasions do they receive a word, but watch this, verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Did you catch that? Samuel grew. The Lord was with him. The Lord shows up. Samuel gives the word. You get that? Samuel grew, which I believe is, is, is both he, he physically grew, but also a reference back to the second chapter and 26 verse where he says, Samuel continued to grow in his stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. That sounds familiar? The Lord was with him. The Lord shows up. Samuel gives out the word. This is the beginning of change for Israel. This is the beginning of change for us. When the word of God shows up, Change must take place because that's how powerful the word of God is. I submit to you, where there is no word from the Lord, there is only confusion, delusion, and contusion. Confusion, people don't know what's going on. Delusion, they think they know better than God, and contusion, and they bump their head every time trying to figure out life on their own. It's the word of God that brings order out of chaos. Where God says, let there be light. He is taking chaos and bringing order. He is making something happen that wasn't there before. The word of God brings order. Many homes are in dysfunction. You need the word. Many homes are dead spiritually. You need the word. Many homes need hope. You need the word. For the word of God is truth. John seventeen seventeen 17, sanctify him truth. Your word is true. The word of God instructs in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. The word of God is a lamp and a light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God, it cuts us. It's like a surgeon's scalpel because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is what gives life. Jesus says, I give spirit and I give my words. He gives the spirit and life. Ultimately, I need, you need. We all need the word of God in our homes because we all need Jesus. Yes, the word of God is Jesus. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If if your home does not have Jesus in the house, then you need to bring the word in. Because where the word is, Jesus is. And our homes need Jesus to bring change and transformation to our hearts and to our lives. Thinking through that had reminded me of that that TV show that Nanny 911. You know that show when that British lady comes in and she sits the parents down and the children are just, they just acting a fool. The parents are like, I don't know what to do. And she begins to walk them through different techniques, different training. She leaves and comes back to see how they're doing. And at the end of the show, things are supposed to be better now. Why well, submit to you, family? We don't need a Nanny 911, we need a Jesus 911. Because Jesus don't just show up and leave. When he shows up, he stays. He says, I promise, I would never leave you nor forsake you. When Jesus shows up, he says, I will be the bread of life. You just eat from me. Do your grocery shopping with Jesus. Jesus says he's the light of the world. In darkness, he shines a bright light. Jesus says that he's the door. You're trying to figure out how how life is supposed to be. He says, I'm the door that you enter in by. Jesus says that I'm the good shepherd. Sometimes you just need someone just to take care of you. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus tells us, he says, that I'm the resurrection and the life. If you have a dead home full of dead bones, you need someone who can bring resurrection and the life. He says, now I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If if you just don't know where to go and what to do, he says, I'm the way. Jesus says that I'm the vine. He says, as long as you're connected to me, as long as you're connected to me, you will thrive and you will survive. But Jesus has to be in our homes, and the Word must be in our homes. How do we do this? Just a couple practical ways to get started. I want to encourage you to read Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 as a family and discuss what it's going to look like in your home. What would that look like in your home? Everyone's schedule is different. But what would that look like in your home? Read scripture together each day. Crack open that book. Open your Bible as a a family. I would recommend that that you eat dinner together and discuss Jesus. Get to know what's going on in your family's life. Read a bedtime story from a gospel center book. Instead of having Jet, Ebony, and Cosmo on the dinner table, put a Bible out there. Let somebody read that. But ultimately, do something. Do something. But just as quickly as I say, do something, I'm going to say you can't do something. Because it's not in us to do something. Our our, our sin-stained condition has has brought us so low that even when we know it's built for us, we don't want it. We must rely upon the grace of God to move upon our hearts and upon our homes. Titus 2.11 says grace has appeared. Jesus Christ has appeared and he's the one who's going to teach us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. He's going to teach us how to live a self-controlled life, but we have to invite him in. Sin has rendered us totally incapable of living according to the standard of scripture. It's like a convicted felon who throws himself upon the mercy of the court. We have to be that felon. But when we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God's court, he gives us something called that grace paradox. That grace paradox where, where it says, 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored. The grace of God will cause you to labor. The grace of God will cause you to work. The grace of God will cause you to do something. The grace of God will cause you to move forward into holiness and righteousness. But watch this. But I labor more abundantly than they are, yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. God never calls you to a task he's not willing to equip you for. It. If God is calling you to be a faithful parent, he will give you the grace to be a faithful parent. Surrender to his will. Surrender to his way. In a society that is ever increasing in godlessness, in a society where individual satisfaction is more important than anything else, it is more important for parents to be intentional and faithful. As we look at the life of Eli in this case study of what faithless parenting looks like, may we be committed to faithfully raising our children. For a faithful parent perceives A faithful parent participates and understands that we will always need the grace of God. We will always need to turn to Jesus in order for him to move within us to complete that which he has called us to do. The question before us today is, have you been faithful? Have you been faithful? But not just parents. Have you been faithful, everyone? Have you been faithful to Jesus? Has your life been marked by dependence upon God, dependence upon his word? Do you base your everyday decisions on what you want to do or under the the rule of Christ? Can you honestly say that Jesus is the center of your home or are you the center of your home? If you have been living faithless like Eli, the tragic results await. But if you have, the word of God says he is faithful to forgive you when you confess your sins. See, but the tragedy is if you have not called upon Jesus to be your savior, the tragedy is not just something happening in this life, but you will spend an eternity separated from God and all his goodness, no good thing. Or maybe you do love Jesus and you just got off track and your faithfulness, faithlessness has caused you to walk in a way that you're, you're weighed down by guilt and defeated. I want to point you to the cross of Christ. Repent. Tell God you're sorry. Tell him you're sorry for being disobedient to his desires and receive his grace today. His wonderful acceptance from God Not because we have earned it or deserve it, but because he gives it to us freely at Christ's expense. Faithful parenting is hard, but faithful parenting is worth it because that is what God has called us to. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, no matter how difficult your word may be, you give us sufficient grace to accomplish that which you said before us. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. May we look at scriptures, passages of scripture like this and see the dangers of not being intentional and not engaging you first and foremost. So, Father, I pray that each and every person, not just every parent, but each and every person here will humble themselves before your mighty throne, surrender to your will, and allow you to use them to be a light in a dark and dimly lit world. Now, Father, we ask that you will have your way for the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.